0: Well, it is Father's Day, and I wish each father here a happy Father's Day, and I would like to honor the fathers in my life for their influence and care and labors on my behalf. As a father, it's sobering to think of the responsibility that we have to leave a legacy that will be honoring to God our Father. The children haven't been having Sunday school, and I would like to involve them a little bit this morning. They have to pay attention at least somewhat. I would like to speak about honoring our Father, honor thy Father, and, and look at some examples from Scripture. But as we go through this, I would like us to quote the the command out of Exodus, it was in our Sunday school lesson in part. But Exodus 20, verse 12, we could all say together. Uh, I, will, I will read it here, and most of you know it well, and we'll say it together then occasionally throughout. Exodus 20, verse 12 is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Let's say it together. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's kind of a backdrop for what I'm going to be sharing this morning. I had glanced over the Sunday school lesson, but not looked at it very much in depth. And even so, James touched on it, but he didn't go deeply into a lot of the things. And we're going to expand on some of the ideas there of, of children and fathers. First of all, I'd like for you to go with me on a little journey of genealogy. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1 mentions a people. In verse 16, it says, Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, and they dwelt and they went and dwelt among the people. We have a record of a people called the Kenites. They were relatives of Moses' father in law. They were not Israelites, but here it says they dwelt among the people, among those of the children of Judah. Let's go to first Chronicles two verse fifty five. And the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, the Tirathites, the Shimeathites, the Succothites, these are the Kenites that came of Hemath, the father of the house of Rechab. So now we're introduced to a household of that family line, the household of Rechab. They were Kenites. Now I'd like to go to 2 Kings chapter 10. And here is the account of Jehu fulfilling the prophecy against the wicked house of Ahab. He had the sons of Ahab killed and delivered to Jezreel, and now he was on his way to Samaria. And in 2 Kings 10 verse 15, it says, And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said unto him, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? Jehonadab answered, it is. Jeho said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. Evidently, this man Jehonadab was a well-known personage with a reputation. It seems that Jehu recognized him and invited him to, to come and see what he was doing and to see how thoroughly he was doing his job. This man Jehonadab was a son of Rechab. Let's continue here at verse 17. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshippers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside, and he said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other." Now it happened, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them, and let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought out the sacred pillars of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Here's the only mention that we have of the man Jehonadeb in his life. We don't see a lot about him, but I just I see a reputation of a man that was known to the king. He was not an Israelite, but he was interested and helpful in carrying out a prophecy against a wicked king. It seems that perhaps here he would have known a bit of who was Who were the worshipers of Baal? It doesn't say it specifically. But he was a man that had a place of of recognition and he had a zeal for what was right. A zeal that Jehu was involved in and was happy to have him part of. Where does this man again appear in Scripture? Any of you know? Jeremiah 35. Over 250 years later, if you turn there to Jeremiah 35, This is the Lord instructing Jeremiah to do something here. And he's using people group as a testimony against the people of Judah. Let's read here in Jeremiah 35, beginning at verse 1. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, Hebat- and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, that was by the chambers of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maaseiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may... Live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. So they were living in Jerusalem at this time, but it was because of the the threat of the Chaldeans outside. So they actually were, were in a city, not just in their tents. But these people had an amazing allegiance to their father. Their ancestor, over 250 years later, they could say this was the man and this is what he said. And we'll see here that these things were noticed by God. All things of life are. But these, these acts on their part, their, their obedience to the commands of their ancestor were noticed. And God used them as a, as a witness against the nation of Judah, as a rebuke. We continue reading here in verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my word, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, "'Rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. "'I have sent also unto you by all my servants the prophets, "'rising up early and sending them, saying, "'Return ye now every man from his evil way, "'and amend your doings, "'and go not after the gods, other gods to serve them. "'And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you "'and to your fathers. "'But ye have not inclined your ear nor hearkened unto me. "'Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, "'have performed the commandment of their father,' which he commanded them. But this people hath not hearkened unto me. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring upon Judah, upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. There's a saying that goes, it takes two to fight. Amos asks the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? The point of those two things is there's two parties involved. And I believe here that the faithfulness of the Rechabites was two parties. It was two parts. I believe that it was a vibrant conviction on the part of Jonadab. As a father, he was more than just someone who had children. He had conviction. He had a vision for something that would be carried out, something that would be a blessing they were strangers in the land. They were not the ones that inherited this land. And yet, there was some insight to see that abstaining from wine, the blessings it would bring from not building houses and sowing seed would remind them that they were strangers. And it said that that they would have long days in that land where they were strangers. And he was able to pass that vision down to his children and I think the second part was a commitment on the part of his descendants to honoring because you can have someone that has a vision and a and a a goal that has clear understanding and yet if they're not able to pass that on and the children are not able to grasp that it goes by the wayside there was a commitment on the part of these children Many of us here are fathers. How firmly are we convinced in our beliefs? Will our children remember what we said, how we lived, or do they match? I trust they do. But we can have words that are not followed up with actions, and that will lead to children that will not want to follow either what we, what we have said recently I I heard a discussion about the desire of young people in the conservative church, and in time past there was a propensity to follow the, I don't know the right word, for lack of a better one, the regulations handed down by the church, but now They're saying, we don't want regulation, we want relationship. But maybe deeper than that, we want to see people that are fulfilled in following the Lord. We want to see conviction that is lived out in action. And I believe that that is necessary. We were in Tennessee this beginning of the week for a family gathering with my wife's paternal family. And not all of the family was there, but there was a a gathering from a broad scope of the country. And at one meal, I think there were close to 150 people there, including grandpa and grandma. I'm almost half as old as they are. Not quite, but almost. And it was sobering to look around and think about what legacy will my life leave Will I be known as a man of conviction and resolve? And will the lives of my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, if the Lord tarries, be evidence to that? Or will I be known as a man that said things, held some beliefs, but really, really wasn't committed to the Lord? These people here in Jeremiah's day could point back to their great 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 grandfather by name and list what he commanded them and say, We are honoring him. So I guess as I as I look at this, I'm I'm challenged on two points, that of the faithful father and that of the the honoring children. Because I think it takes both for, for conviction to pass on. I'd like to recite again this verse from Exodus this commandment, one of the Ten Commandments. We'll say it two times. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. There's another father that I would like to look at. And... I believe he was referenced in last week's Sunday school lesson. But I would like to look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We have Abraham called of the Lord in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Abraham, Abram here, is called by God to go from his home. He responded in obedience. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abram... Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. But he acted in obedience. Here was a man that that was called of God. He knew what he was to do and he did it. A number of years later, God renewed his covenant with Abram following the birth of Ishmael. And here God changed his name to Abraham and instructed him to circumcise all the males of his household. And he obeyed. Not long after that, when God was about to destroy Sodom, we have these words in Genesis 18, verse 17 to 19. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. I believe that these earlier instances I pointed out gave Abraham a track record that God said, I know him, I know that he's going to follow me, he's going to be obedient to me. I'm going to show him what I'm going to do. Oh, that as a father, I could have that testimony before God. After this, Isaac was born and circumcised. And some years later, Abraham is faced with another decision. We know the story, but it's an account that I think should cease not to grip our hearts. When we think of the immensity of what God called Abraham to, I'm going to just tell you the story. Abraham is a father. He looked forward to a child for years, a child of promise. God had promised him a child of Sarah, and then Isaac was born. And how old Isaac was when God came to him with this test, we don't know exactly, but likely a teenager, young teenager perhaps. And God brought a test to Abraham. Children, how many of you like tests? Those in school know what tests are. Those younger may not understand tests quite the same, except tests, all of us face some tests. Sometimes it's being told to set the table is a test. Because if there's not obedience, then there's consequences, right? You fail the test. Well, here God brought a test to Abraham. God said, take your son, that one you've waited for for a long time, the one that you love. You take him and you go on a trip. You walk or ride your donkey for three days to a a place And there I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham knew what that meant. That meant that he would have to build an altar. He would need to take wood. He would need to take fire. And he would need to take a knife. He would need to take a knife to kill his son. He got everything ready, took the wood, and he and two of the hired men went with Abraham and Isaac, and they went to the land of Moriah. And they got close, and Abraham told the hired men, he said, you stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go on up, and we'll come back. So he took wood from off the donkey, and he put it on Isaac. He said, here, you carry this. And he took the fire in his in his hand. He took that along, and a knife. And the two, Abraham and Isaac, the, old, the older man, the dad and his boy, and they walked on up this mountain. And as they went, Isaac said, we came to offer burnt sacrifice, right? A burnt offering. He said, I see wood here, which makes sense, and you've got fire. You've got a way to start the fire. Where's, where's the animal? Where's the lamb? Because he knew that it took an animal to have a burnt offering. And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. So the two of them, they kept on going up the mountain. I don't know what the relationship was between Abraham and Isaac. But there was complete trust. Isaac trusted his father. They came up to the place where God had told Abraham to build an altar and he got there and arranged the stones all together and he laid the wood on the altar. And then he took Isaac and he bound him. He tied his hands so that he would hold still. But you think about it a young, strong, big boy probably wouldn't have to do what his daddy told him. But here, he obeyed and he let his dad tie his hands and he laid him up on the altar on top of the wood and Abraham raised his hand and his knife because God had had said, you need to do this. And God had also promised that this was the son that would have lots of children Lots of grandchildren. How could he do that if he was dead? Abraham didn't know, but he just knew that God had said to do something and he needed to obey. Right as he was ready to kill his son, the angel of the Lord called out Abraham and said, don't hurt him. Don't do anything to him now. Because I know that you love me. You've passed the test You will obey me no matter what. Because you haven't held your son, the only son that you have of Sarah, the one that's the promised son, the one that's your prize possession, per se, the one that you love so much. You haven't withheld him. And Abraham looked. And you know what was caught in the thicket beside the altar? What was it? Did Abraham have his faith rewarded? That was a ram. A big sheep caught in the thicket by its horns, and Abram got Isaac down off that altar and went over and took that ram and tied him up and put him on that altar and offered him that ram as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the place of that, called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh or the Lord will provide. And again, it says the angel of the Lord spake out of heaven a second time and says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. Remember those men that were waiting down at the bottom of the mountain with the donkey? They went down there. Isaac and Abraham went back down the mountain and they rose up together and they went to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt there. Here again we have two parties, two individuals, two, two people that give us a beautiful picture. Children, you will not always understand everything your parents ask you to do. Your parents aren't going to ask you to crawl upon an altar of wood to be burnt. But they may ask you to do things you don't understand. But the way you can honor your father and mother is the commandment here in Exodus. And that's to trust them and to obey them. Because they really do care about you. Abraham didn't understand how God was going to give him the fulfillment of the promise of children and grandchildren if his son was dead, but he trusted and obeyed God. And he believed that God will fulfill the promise even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are told, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He didn't actually kill him, but he had him right there. He had him ready to go. He was—he had done it in his heart, in his mind. He had done it. He had given him up. And who had received? And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, so your seed be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. I believe Isaac remembered this. This promise that God made to Abraham was carried out through Isaac, through Jacob, down through the family. A faithful father. A son that honored his father that respected his father. Let's say the verse again, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I trust that as you are a child and you think about those that have gone before you, that have walked in faith, that you can be encouraged by their their example of of faith and conviction honoring is not always easy to define you know to children there in ephesians children obey your parents is put there before honor thy father and thy mother and as children there is that responsibility to obey what is said distinctly and as we grow older honor takes a different light sometimes we don't answer to our father and mother the same But it is interesting that it says there in Ephesians that this is the first commandment with promise. Some of the things God tells us to do because. And here God says, because. Here's a promise. That that your days may be long on the land. There is peace. There is blessing. As we honor our parents. And as a father, I've been deeply challenged and see the need in my own life for the grace of God. To be a father of conviction and of perseverance, there are times that I don't know. times I feel like a failure. The children don't listen. I don't respond right. It seems like there's no way I can be the dad I need to be. And I cry out to God for grace. There's many of us that are in the same boat. And yet sometimes I have all feel the most unqualified to be here. I ask for your prayers, faithful to the Lord, faithful to my children, that they have someone worth following.